Welcome to Antioch Church. My name's Jay Duncan, and uh, I have the great joy, along with my wife, of leading this house of amazing people. And we have been in a series now for a few weeks called Faithful Presence. Faithful Presence. And our series on Faithful Presence is taken directly from a book by a guy named David Fitch. And we're not following the book line by line, but we're taking some of the big concepts and the big topics from that book. And so if you want to follow along with us in this series more closely and augment and supplement the things that are being spoken on Sunday morning, that is the resource for you, Faithful Presence by David Fitch. So hopefully everyone has at least a... Uh, couples and families have at least a one-page document here. Today, we're going to be talking about Missio Dei and Incarnation. Missio Dei and Incarnation. If you were here with us a few weeks ago, uh, you will recall that we began our series with establishing a couple of very, very important points. Point number one is that God is present in all of the world. He is present He is present here as the believers gather together, and we're going to talk about the fact that he is present in a very unique way. When the believers of God come together, he is present in a very unique way, in a very profound way. I I would even say he is present in a very supernatural way when believers in particular gather together. We establish that not only is he present in all of the world, we establish that he is at work that he is always working. Jesus said this in John 4 and in John 5. He says, my father is always at work. So even when you feel like he is not at work in your life, and perhaps more importantly, when you interact with people that are not in the family of God, they're not God followers, they're not Jesus lovers, and you would say, and, and you interact with their lives, you become a point of entry to help them see how God actually is at work in their lives. And that becomes a powerful form of your witness in their lives. We establish that God is a missional God. What does that mean? It just means that God, though he is self-contained, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in the fellowship of the Godhead, the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God is not lacking anything. He's not lacking anything. He's not insecure. He's not insufficient. He is complete and he is perfect in and of himself. And out of the fullness of that relationship, out of the fullness of his love that he is experiencing within himself, in the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, out of that overflow, he creates humanity. And humanity, out of their weakness and out of their frailness, and really, if we're gonna be very, very blunt, out of their rebellion, choose to disassociate and disfellowship from God. And we read that verse today in Romans 5. As a result of that one decision to to defect from God, from his kingdom, from his authority in their lives, sin entered into the world, and as a result, all of mankind has been disfellowshipped and distanced from God from that first man. And so God, as a missional God, has been pursuing I would even say he has been chasing, he has been revealing himself, he has been at work to win the hearts of humanity and to restore the hearts of humanity back into relationship with himself ever since that happened. And the culmination of this is in his son, Jesus. When Jesus Christ came, 
the faithful presence of God took shape. The faithful presence of God was made concrete. It was made visible. And we call this the incarnation. To take something that is of essence, spirit, and to make it flesh, to make it visible, to make it concrete. All right? Let's take a look, if you would, at Matthew chapter 28. And for those of you who might be new to this, Matthew chapter 28 is a very, very important part of our story And it's actually found in the middle of our story. So as I was referencing Jesus, the son of God, who was sent from heaven, came to earth, born as a man, born into a family. So the son of God and also the son of Joseph and the son of Mary lived a flawless, sinless, perfect life, willingly offered his life down as a sacrifice for the sins of humanity, resurrected by the power of God's spirit from the dead, And this is where we pick up our story. Here in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus is revealing himself or he is showing up to his friends. These friends were his disciples. They were his students. They followed him for three years. He mentored them. He trained them. He prepared them to carry on his work and to carry on his message after after he was going to depart from the earth. And so he shows up and here in Matthew chapter 28, we're gonna begin this in verse 18. Many people call this the great commission. In Matthew 28, 18, it says, then Jesus came to them, his disciples, and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has now implied been given to me. So previously, all authority, the legal right or the legal rule to reign and to make decisions to execute one's will That belonged to Christ in the realm of the heavens. But as a result of the sin of humanity, the legal right to rule, the legal right to have authority in the realm of the earth, that was traded over to Satan. And by virtue of Christ's faithfulness to God and by virtue of his death and his resurrection, that authority was regained. And that's why he said, now all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's called missio dei. That, that is the grand sovereign work of God over the earth. Let's look at the next verse. He says, therefore, or in other words, because I now possess this authority and because you have submitted yourself to a process, a process of sonship and discipleship and training and development, he is saying you are the ones that are entrusted now with the same authority that's been entrusted to me to go out into all the world and to disciple nations, to make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Next verse. Verse 20 says, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. I want you to see two very important distinctions in this verse. The first is I want you to see the grand nature of the Missio Dei. I want you to see the heart of the Missio Dei. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, so I'm at work. Jesus is at work as the son of the missional God, as the first one sent from heaven to reveal the heart of God to the earth, Jesus is saying, I am at work. And then he says here in verse 19 and verse 20, he says, now take what I am doing and incarnate that. 
teach people how to live under the reign of God. Teach people what it means to make this spiritual life flesh in the material world. Teach people the things that I have taught you. Teach people not just to be disembodied spirits, but teach them to make flesh the truth of the kingdom. So we see in these two verses, working together, we see the grand call of God, the mission of God at work in all of the world. And we also see Jesus is saying, here is how we live out the mission of God. We make it flesh in the lives of the people around us. If you look at your notes here at the top, I'm gonna make a couple of distinctions here. I'm Missio Dei versus Incarnation. From a definitional standpoint, Missio Dei is the fact that God is at work and he's at work beyond the church. He is at work beyond the church. Now we have the amazing privilege of participating with that work. And we have the amazing privilege of partnering with that work and making that work visible and making that work uh, extend into the world. But God is at work beyond us. Here's what we need to understand. The mission of God does not necessarily begin, does not begin with the church. The mission of God begins with the missional heart and nature of God in the Trinity. The church is called to go into the world and join with God in his mission. That's Missio Dei. What's incarnation? Incarnation is just as God has come into the world in Christ to be with humanity in everyday life, so too we are called to go into the world and to inhabit our location and to be with people. Again, to put skin, to put flesh, to make the way and the life of the kingdom visible. I heard a quote one, one time that says, you might be the only Bible that someone else reads. Your life may be the only scriptures that someone else reads. And so when the world around us wants to know what it looks like to be a people of reconciliation, they ought to be able to look at the church and say, that is who God is. God is a reconciling God because God's people are always at work to reconcile people who are at odds. In the spirit of humility, in the spirit of faithfulness, and revealing the heart of God in the very midst of conflict and division. We see this in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons and the daughters of God. The world ought to be able to look at us and see what it looks like to forgive and to have a a picture of the fact that their Father in heaven is not angry at them that their father in heaven is not mad at them, that their father in heaven is not disassociating himself with them because he's just standing over them judgmentally. How do, they, how do they understand that? They see that from watching our lives. And if we are the only representation that some people will have of who God is, if we, if, if we become the lens by which the people in the world see God, The question that we have to wrestle with, the question that we have to get our hands around is, what is their view of God and how did it get formed? You know, when we take a fundamentalist approach and a a religious right-wing approach to, to engaging with the world, guys, that affects the way people view God. 
and they see God as an angry, judgmental, black and white. And it's not that God doesn't have standards. It's not that those standards flow from uh, the reality and the ethos of his character and his nature. But I'm here to say today that when people see our lives and they see the words that we post, they see the attitude and the spirit in which we engage them, that is coloring their view of who God is. And then some of them are saying, I want nothing to do with God. If, the, if, if, if you are the incarnation of God, I don't want anything to do with that. Missio Dei, the next line here, emphasizes the transcendence of God. We talked about the transcendence, the grandeur of the greatness of God. The fact that God uh, is reserved alone to stand above all of the cosmos. That is the transcendence of God. He transcends the world. But the imminence of God is revealed in the incarnation. This is where God is near. This is where we relate to God as daddy or as father. This is where we relate to the loving kindness, the tenderness of God. Point number three, God is at work over the world. So the Missio Dei helps us to understand that God is at work over the world. His cosmic and his sovereign and his redemptive purposes stand over and above all of human history. But the missional, incarnational nature of God says that he not only stands other than creation and he's not only at work over the world, he is at work in the world. The Missio Dei helps us to understand that God is completely different than our creation. But the incarnation helps us to understand that he became one of our creation in order to reach us. I like how we can even just drill this down even tighter as you look at the next point. God became human. That's very general. But if you look at incarnation, God did not just become human. He became a particular person of a particular ethnicity and a culture and he indwelt within a particular group of people. He belonged to a family. He lived in a neighborhood. He had a trade. You see how we're moving from this general missional assignment into putting on flesh to the Missio Dei. Jesus was a Jewish man. Jesus, Jesus had a beard. Jesus had cousins. Jesus played games with kids. He, he, uh, he, um, he lived within a culture. He followed that culture. He understood the history of the people that he was connected with. He followed certain customs and certain rules. It reminds me of Paul, when Paul said, hey, to win the Jews, I became like a Jew. I understood that the message never changes, but the way or the manner in which the message is communicated, it may take shape. It will change based on the culture that it goes into. These are just missiological principles. You, you, don't, you don't go into another nation and assume that uh, they're going to they're gonna receive the message the exact way that we as Western Americans are gonna receive the message. And when you go out to villages in Africa and you see little white churches with steeples, you know what that tells you? That tells you that they were abiding by Missio Dei, but they were not incarnating Christ to that people. Because churches in Africa aren't supposed to look like churches in England. That's when we go over there and we say, hey, listen, in order for you to be a Christian, you gotta do it our way. Guys, that, that's not incarnation. Incarnation is us listening and learning and becoming students. Incarnation is saying, uh, how is God to reveal himself in the uniqueness of your people group? 
and the uniqueness of your culture. I don't dance that way. I can't dance at all. But you guys like to dance. And when you praise, it's going to look a little bit different than the way I praise. Monsieur Day, if you look at, I should have numbered these. It says, God is a sending God. And I love this. God is a sending God. Mission is what God is doing. The, the mission of God is beyond the church. But in the incarnation, we see that God's not just a sending God. He's a ministering God. He's a God who gets down on his hands and knees and washes feet. That's incarnation. He's a God that can be touched. That's incarnation. He's a God that it says in Mark chapter five that when Jesus was walking amongst the crowd of people, there was a lady with an issue of blood and by faith she reached out and she touched the hem of his garment. That's an incarnational God. He's a God that when the leper came to him and he said, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out and he touched him. That's an incarnational God. That is a, that is a God who is putting skin on the heart to reach humanity. And the Missio Dei, the church prays for and proclaims that God rules over the whole world in Christ. We announce the gospel. Ephesians 3.10 says that the manifold wisdom of God is made known in the realm of the heavenlies through the church. That's cosmic. That's massive. When we pray, when we decree, when we prophesy, when we sing, when we elevate, we are participating with the Missio Dei of God. But in the incarnation, we don't just pray. We don't just announce. We become. In the incarnation, we make the work of God concrete. In the incarnation, we create space for his presence to become real among people. There's a number of scriptures here. And once you begin to understand these concepts, I did this with our staff. We came up with about 20 or 30 different scriptures I said, all right, guys, I want you guys to just sit down. We put a whiteboard out. I said, on this side, I want you to throw out every scripture you can think of that lines up with the Missio Dei of God. You see this a lot in the Old Testament, particularly in the Psalms that speak to the fact that God is king over the entire world. What is that? Missio Dei. When you look at the redemptive purposes of God that he speaks to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, God calls Abraham out of his people and he says, I'm gonna bless you to be a blessing and to carry this message to the Gentiles. That's Missio Dei. Incarnation is where we take those orders and we live them out slowly, patiently, creatively with a people. John chapter one, verse 14. We're gonna, we're gonna hone in here in the next few minutes that we have together. We're just gonna focus on incarnation. John 1, 14 says, the word became flesh and he made his dwelling among us. Alyssa, do you have the message version up there by chance? No, okay. The word became flesh and he made his dwelling among us and we have now seen his glory the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. The message version says that the word became flesh and he lived in our neighborhood. Isn't that what it said? They lived in our neighborhood? He moved into our neighborhood. I like that. He didn't just become flesh, he moved into our neighborhood. He took up residence. We know where God's home is at through the church, when the church incarnates the mission of God. 
Let's take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We looked at this verse a little bit earlier today. But 2 Corinthians chapter 5 talks about the Missio Dei and the incarnation of God together. And I thought it'd be good for us to see this. We'll begin at verse 16. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 says, So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. This is Missio Dei. This is the heart of God. This is the mission of God. The mission of God is to make the old new. And what is the old? The old is the corrupted cosmos. The old is the diseased order. The old is the divisiveness of humanity. The old is the racist structures. The old is the gender divisive structures. The old is all the effects of sin in the world. That's the old. The old is our animosity and anger against God, anti-Christ, anti-Bible, anti-family, anti-morals, anti-values. That's the old. He says, listen, my mission is to progressively do away with the old so that the new can come. Life, order, unity, reconciliation, redemption, hope, vision, passion, strength. That's the new. And that's the Missio Day of God. Let's look at verse 18. All of this is from God. What is all of this? The work of God in the earth, the work of God in the human heart, in relationships, in families, in societal structures. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Jesus. And now he gave us the missio dei, the ministry of reconciliation. Now he is saying, take this mission that you have been won by, that you have been changed by, and now incarnate this into the world. Look at verse 19. That God was reconciling the world to himself, Monsieur Day, in a person incarnation. You see that? Not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us now by, by way of the Holy Spirit we now have the message of reconciliation. This is incarnation. A language, a voice, a vernacular, a nuance. There are people that you are called to reach with your language and your quirky little personalities and your introvertedness or your extrovertedness or the way that you see the world or the experiences that you've had. There is a, there is a language in which you can frame the gospel that I never could. There are people groups that you can reach that I will never even have entrance and access to. That's called incarnation. Last verse, my favorite one. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. We are the incarnation of the Missio Dei of God as though God were making his appeal through us. How does the world know that the father's not mad at them? through the incarnation of the church. How does the world know that the father is, is not homophobic? Through the incarnation of God's passion in the church. How does the world know that God's not a racist? Through the incarnation of God's heart in the church. And on and on and on it goes. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Listen to this incarnation. We're with you. 
We've related to you. We've walked a path with you. We've gained credibility with you. We have relational capital with you. And now we implore you, come and be reconciled to God. I'm gonna switch gears here and talk a little bit more deeply about what incarnation is. This is written by a guy named Alan Hirsch, and he's written a number of um, church planning books. A lot of your church planters who are theologically minded are really drilling down on this concept of incarnation. There are so many now new forms and new methods and new, new ways of how the church is looking because of this idea, this understanding of incarnation. And it's not new. It's, it's, we've seen this in missions history for many, many years. But this is, what, this is what Alan Hirsch says. He says, I use the word incarnational to describe the mode of missionary engagement. Now, when you hear that, don't just think of slideshows when you were like six years old of people handling, you know, rhinoceros heads in Africa or whatever. Like, put, realize this is you, this is me, the mode of missionary engagement, missional engagement, missio day engagement. So I use the word incarnation to describe the mode of missionary engagement that takes its cue from the incarnation of God in Jesus. All that is simply saying is this missionary strategy has a theological rootedness. It is the incarnation of God in Jesus. If missional refers to our sentness, our sentness, every one of us are sent, Every day when we wake up, we engage in the sentness of God. God came into the world in an act of profound identification with humanity as a whole and with a particular group of people. I want to say that one more time. God came into the world in a profound act of identification. Identification. You know what one of your greatest missionary tactics is going to be? And I, I realize some of this gets messy. Guys, listen, PhD scholars in missiology have been grappling with this for decades. How close is too close? How far is too far? Do we allow a Muslim to remain in a mosque after they come to know Christ? These, these are real deal conversations that are being had. But in a general rule, without, with, with all of our re- religious mindsets just taken off for one minute and just set down there, and when you leave, you can pick them back up if you want to. I'd recommend you not. But he says, God identified with a people. He identified with them. He identified with their personalities, with their interests, with their hobbies, with their laws, with their cut. He identified with humanity in a particular people group. You see this a lot in youth ministry and college ministry. You see, how do we contextualize the gospel to reach young kids who love to skate? How do we do that? Because it is, that is a mission field. How do we contextualize the gospel to kids who love to play video games or just kids who love to play sports? Well, if you're not a sports guy, well, you, you learn, you listen, you humble your heart. How do we contextualize the gospel to uh, kids who like to read sci-fi fantasies? How do you do that? You become a student. And you read sci-fi novels, hopefully the clean ones. And you learn the language and you learn how to engage with them on that level. I'm telling you guys, this, this is just parenting 101. It really is. All right. 
The fact that Jesus was in a neighborhood for 30 years and no one noticed says a lot about how God works. He was in a neighborhood for 30 years. And the only story that we have is when he was 12 years old, he was making the religious scholars look like fools. That's the only story that we have. Outside of that, we really have no idea of how Jesus was displaying his divinity. By and large, we can really say that the neighborhood around him had no clue that, that God was in their midst. That ought to mess with us a little bit. And what it, what it ought to mess with is our enlightenment, modern, rationalistic approach that if we just that every person that we talk to, we got to give them these formulas and we got to give them the Romans road. Not that I'm against the Romans road. We got to give them the four spiritual laws and then immediately it should be done. Bypassing weeks, months, or even possibly years of relationship building. And I know that there's a tension there. We can build so, so much relationship that we never share the gospel at all. It is, there is a tension of both. And what I'm addressing right now, what I'm addressing right now is that we have got to check ourselves to not just make this a project, to not just make this a task, to not just make this, because here's what happens. When we have missio day and no incarnation, people fall away from the gospel because they feel like projects. They can feel that this is obligatory. They can feel that there's, there's, there's something that you're doing this for a reason other than the fact that you really genuinely care about me. Okay, too much incarnation and not enough missio day, we're just best friends and you'll never know that I follow Jesus. Too much incarnation is, yeah, we'll have, uh, we'll have coffee shop churches and we'll have groups that ride bikes together and we'll have small groups that hike together. And oh yeah, where, where's, do you... Do you guys follow Jesus? Do you understand how we have to have this missional impetus, this missional drive, this missional hunger, this missional love inside of us? And we also have to have the strategy of deeply loving people and deeply identifying with people. And when those two things come together, we have witness. Those two things together form witness. The incarnation shows us that God speaks from within a culture. He speaks from within a culture. You know, the beautiful thing about language and culture is there are certain things in each of your unique nuances and your unique vernaculars. I remember when I was a kid and I first started saying, uh, man, that's dope. <laughs> My dad looked at me like, what? Son, do you know what you're saying? I'm saying, yeah, dad, that's cool. That's awesome. So we call that dope. <laughs> My dad's like, dope is something you, is not good, son. It's not a good thing. And that's just an example of how language is affected by culture. And we don't have to get into an argument about language right here. All we have to understand for the sake of this purposes is that every people group has their own language. I had, I had to learn that with this group. There was language I was using that was freaking y'all out because every context has a culture and every culture has a language. And we have to learn that language or else 
we're going to be sending the wrong message. These are some of the things I was trying to address around the elections. We have to be mindful of language that we use because language carries messages. The incarnation gives us the primary biblical model of engagement. This is the Jesus way. This is the Jesus way of fulfilling mission. Now, hey, I I have nothing against those guys who stand in parks or stand up on cafeteria lunch tables or go into, I've got nothing against that. But for me, I just don't think that is the most effective way of establishing relational capital and credibility with someone to hear the message of the gospel. I'm not gonna say that God can't use that, but I'm gonna say that the biblical way is Jesus went into homes with sinners and got fat. That brother loved to eat. I like Jesus because he liked to eat. Because I like to eat. Don't be, don't be tripping. Come on. Je- hey, listen, he liked to eat so much that the Pharisees were calling him a glutton and a drunkard. That's not, that's not coincidental. They were calling him a glutton. Why was that? Because Jesus loved to hang out at a table. He loved to get into people's lives. And he understood the power of God's presence available at the table. So let's talk here just for a second. Let's, let's talk about what do we do with this? How do we, how do we flesh this out? I hanging out with a buddy of mine a couple of weeks ago and he says, this is exactly what I'm going to the mission field to do. I am going with the call of intentional living to build relationship with the people of Nepal and bring them into an understanding of Christ on their setting, on their terms, in a way and in a space that makes sense to them. So here's, here's number one, just for some action steps. What do we do with this? Number one, take inventory. And what do I mean by taking inventory? Number one, take inventory of the people that are around you. If I had a whiteboard up here and I had a small group that we were doing this with, this would be great to do in life groups this week, by the way. And if you're not a part of a life group, you can take a look at uh, the bulletin and find out where our life groups are or take a look at our app. If you've not signed up on our app, which you can sign up for our app on our website. By the way, our app was very effective in getting men's to the men's uh, meeting this Saturday. And by the way, the men's meeting this Saturday was amazing. So if you guys missed the men's meeting, we missed you and we understand life happens, but man, get there next time because it was outstanding. I just threw in like five plugs right there. That was pretty incredible. All right, number one, take inventory. Take inventory of the people around you. Take inventory of the condition and the state of the people around you. What does that mean? What does that look like? This is when David Fitch talks about tending to God's presence. What does that mean? It means learning how to put distractions away and pay attention. That's all the word tend means. And to nurture what comes out of that interaction to cultivate it, to develop it, to build it. And then he says, we need to do that one with another. That's the power of the table. That's the power of the disciplines that we're gonna talk about in the next seven weeks. And when you learn how to pay attention to God and pay attention to others and how God is at work in others, you will begin being led by the spirit in a way that you've never been before. We see this in John chapter four. Read John chapter four. John chapter four, Jesus is sitting down 
at a well and there's a gal getting water and Jesus is tending to the presence of God and he's tending to what's going on in this lady's life. He is aware. He's not just there because he's thirsty. He's not just thinking about how tired he is from the journey. And we learn later in John chapter four, he's hungry because he's not eaten, but now he's not hungry because he's connecting with the mission of God. And so he's paying attention to this gal. He's throwing out questions. She's giving answers and he nails the root of the situation in her life. She thinks she's having a theological conversation. She thinks she's having a cultural conversation. She thinks she's having a historical conversation. Jesus is saying, I'm getting down to the root of why you're so depressed and why you're so lonely and why you're so insecure and why you hate yourself because deep at the root of this, there's a father wound that can only be met by a father who deeply loves you. And you've been meeting that father wound by five guys, the fifth even, which you're not even married to right now, but I've been sent here today by virtue of a well to pay attention to the fact that God has been moving in your life and I'm paying attention to the loneliness in your eyes. I see the loneliness in your gaze and I'm here to tell you there's a God that's bigger than history and he's bigger than your culture. He's here right now and I've come to make him known to you. That is incarnation. That is incarnation. That is tending to the people that are around you. And listen, there is a well at your workplace, at your school. There is a well at the barista counter. There is a well at the checkout line. There is a well all around you. Every day there is a well waiting for you to to encounter somebody there. Incarnation. Tending to the presence of God, paying attention, take inventory of the condition and the state of the people that are around you. Do people look frustrated? Do they look tense? Do they look afraid? Listen, that's where you're supposed to step in close. You're not supposed to back up. You're supposed to step in close. God people step in close. Do you know why? Because God is waiting to step in close and reveal the closeness of his character to those people that are around you. Number two, take inventory of the relationships in your life. In life groups this week, I want every single one of you guys to bring your journals or your smartphones and I want you to write out names of people. Names of people that you have frequent interaction with that you know that they are not living in the fullness of the life of God. Family members, friends, neighbors, coworkers, And listen, through this, you might even come to realize I've got neighbors next to me that I don't even know their names. That's an opportunity. That's what we call tending our garden. And listen, we don't have to tackle all of this in one week. This is a long journey. Write out that list and say, God, show me one person's name on this list that I'm supposed to do. I mean, maybe you're supposed to text somebody, incarnation. Maybe you're supposed to write somebody a note, incarnation. You know what the beauty of the tablet and the beauty of the word is? It takes the, the infinite wisdom of God that is invisible in nature and the logos, the wisdom of God, which is known as the logos, was written down so that we could understand it, so that we can see it. The logos became incarnation. Write a note, send a text. Take inventory number two of your spaces. What do I mean by that? Every single one of us frequent certain places. 
I got a Thai restaurant that I like and almost the entire staff knows who I am because I like that food. I'm like Jesus. I'm like Jesus. Jesus likes food. I like food. I'm just trying to be like, what would Jesus do? Jesus eat some Thai food. I got to get to know the donut shop a little bit better too. I'm trying to be like Jesus and the barbecue joint and the, hey, oh Lord, help me. Places that you frequent, your neighborhood. Places that you frequent, coffee shops. Are there certain coffee shops that you go to? Um, Sports classes. Christy and I, a while back, were faithfully attending a boxing conditioning class and got to know almost every person in there. I mean, when I go out to play basketball, I always try to get the names of the people and I try to get their number too if, if, if they're open to it. Hey, let's get together again. Let's play uh, again. It's all, it's, all, it's all a trap. It's all a trap. I don't care. It's a setup. Thank you. I don't care if we play ball together. I'm trying to, I'm getting after your soul. I'm just using the entry point of basketball. I'm just using the entry point. You want to talk about guns? You want to talk about coffee? You want to go hiking? You want to go backpacking? Whatever it is when you, let's, let's do it. Let's do it. It's an entry, it's a gate. It's a door into your heart. Playgrounds, schools, hospital, labor union halls, mops groups, homeless shelters, city halls, prisons, racial reconciliation, village hall meetings, YMCA, protest march, community centers, construction sites, Super Bowl parties, March Madness, you name it. Take inventory of your places and your spaces. Finally, take inventory of your life situations. What do you love to do? What do you enjoy? What are your interests? What are your hobbies? What are your passions? Now listen, I am by nature, I like my alone time. I really like my alone time. I enjoy being alone. I enjoy being around people, but I really enjoy being alone. It's how I recharge. I like to think. I like to get quiet. Sometimes I like to just sit in a chair in the mountains with nobody around and just listen. I love it. I just get filled up by that. But at some point, it's not about what I like to do. At some point, I could pull up another chair with someone who either is growing in their relationship with God or doesn't know Christ at all. That's being incarnational. That is connecting with the Missio Day of God. Take inventory of the things you enjoy doing. I've built a great relationship with some people in this church over football and barbecue. Do you know why? Because I like football and barbecue. And they don't really like, well, they like barbecue. One of them likes football. The other one, they're just there. <laughs> but we've, we have grown an incredible friendship. Why? Over our mutual interest and concern. Take inventory of those things and then be willing to cross the line to invite someone into that space. In two minutes, I'm just gonna close with this. David Fitch talks about three circles. And he talks about, and when we talk about these seven disciplines of the ways that we bring Christ into the world or the ways that we reveal Christ in the world, these seven disciplines... Every one of these seven disciplines are gonna be spoken around the context of these three circles. Circle number one is what is very simply called a close circle, not a closed circle. 
In fact, if you'll look at your bulletin, you'll see these three circles. You'll see a close, solid circle. And what is the close circle? This close circle is the people of God. This is when you have people in your home. This is when you're having a Bible study, a small group, and and it is comprised mostly, if not completely, of people that are followers of Jesus, able to carefully discern his reign and able to experience his presence in a a unique way because everyone in the room has the spirit of God inside of them and they are paying attention to what God is doing. That's the close circle. Not closed, close. Comprised of people that are close. Number two is the dotted circle. What is the dotted circle? The dotted circle is when you leverage your Christ community and invite people into that Christ community. Okay, so in the close circle, Jesus is the host. Do you see that? When you're in your small groups or when you are just hanging out with your, you know, your friends, Jesus is there and he is actually hosting you. In the dotted circle, you become the host and you're hosting your friends who know Christ and you're also hosting your friends who do not know Christ. Here's the simplest way to do this. If you, if, if you are watching the national championship basketball game, invite people who know Jesus and invite people who don't and you've just created a dotted circle. The final circle is called the half circle. This is where you become the guest. And this is where the person who does not have faith in Christ and does not know Christ, they actually become the host. And this is where we see this in Jesus' life all the time. Zacchaeus is hosting Jesus in his home, at his table, on his terms. And Jesus is the guest entering into Zacchaeus' world. This is where we as Christ followers have developed such a relationship of trust with people that they now actually want to invite us into their homes. And in those moments, take the pressure off that you have to turn every conversation into a spiritual conversation. Eat their food, compliment them, listen, be engaged, and you might get another invite back into their home. That's the half circle. The half circle could happen at Starbucks. The half circle could happen, you know, at a cafe or or a lunch site. This is where someone is meeting you on their terms, either on their ground or a neutral place. And these three circles, the close circle of Christians, the half circle of the Christian hosting and the, and, or, or the dotted circle and the half circle of us entering into the world of those that don't know Christ. This now, the whole language of, you know, the four walls inside, outside, that all goes away. And here's why it goes away. Because this then becomes a way of life. It becomes a way of life whereby we discern where God is at work in the presence of of people around us with intentionality. So let's stand to our feet because I want to commission you towards this end today. Man, you guys are beautiful. You guys are a good looking bunch. Thank you. Awesome. Why don't you grab the hand of someone next to you? If you don't know who that hand belongs to, just introduce yourself. And we're going to pray 
that the power of God's spirit would send us from this place that every day we would awake with this Missio Dei incarnation truth of God resonating in our spirit. And here's what I believe. I believe for a people that are willing that he'll move us into incarnational opportunities when we're not even looking for them. And that's when living the Christian life becomes really fun. So Father, today, in the name of Jesus, we thank you that you have been here today in a very peculiar way, in a very unique way, in a very supernatural way. We have sensed and experienced your presence, ministering faith, ministering hope, ministering healing, ministering grace, ministering encouragement and life in this close circle. Today, God, I pray that as we leave this place, we would leave as witnesses, those that embody the Missio Day of God, as we incarnate your life and your love and your truth and your way to the world around us. Lord, I pray that the people of Antioch and the church of Colorado Springs will become so attractive. I pray for an attraction in the spirit. I pray that the fragrance of God on you would become irresistible to the people that are around you. I pray that there would be a magnetic quality of God's spirit at work in your life that you pay attention to and you leverage for the glory of God. I pray that relationship building and friendship making will become easier than it ever has before. I pray that engaging in conversations will become uh, empowered by God's spirit. I pray the gifts of the spirit will be in operation in your interactions with the people that are around you. I pray for patience, I pray for perspective, and I pray for power of the Holy Spirit to be upon you as we are sent to be the church in this city this week in Jesus' name. Come on, clap your hands to the Lord this morning, Antioch.